All right, everybody, welcome to the show. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. You will notice that this episode is not dropping on a Sunday, and there is a reason. There's a very good reason that I am excited to tell you about. So for the first time ever, Lone Star Gun Rights is endorsing candidates for the Texas legislature. We've never done that before, so this is a huge deal for us. It's a big deal for the candidates that we endorsed, and, you know, I, t- I said before in a past show that credibility is everything. And if you don't have credibility, you don't have anything. So that's why we've only limited our endorsements to 14. And it's not because they're Republicans. It's because we firmly believe that they will lead the fight to help get constitutional carry enacted. We firmly believe that they will do everything in their power to make sure that our gun rights are not forgotten in the legislature. And so what we're going to do is we have early voting starting on, um, sorry, February 20th and going through March 2nd. And then finally you have election day, the primaries on March 6th. So that's not a lot of time. These 14 candidates that we have endorsed, we are going to try and get every single one of them on the program So that way you can hear from them where they stand on certain issues and where they come from, what they are doing and why they are running from, I'm sorry, running for the legislature. If a candidate does not appear on the program, please do not hold it against them. These are all contested races and early voting begins just around the corner. It is it is imperative that they maximize their time to ensure that they win the race. Appearing on this podcast is probably not their biggest priority. And so uh, we completely understand that. We want to get everyone on the program to maximize their exposure, but uh, I also understand that they do not have a lot of spare time uh, to make that sort of thing happen with how soon voting begins. That said, I do have one of our our endorsed candidates on the line right now. It is C.J. Grisham, the founder of Open Carry Texas. He is running for House District 55. C.J., welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk, my friend. Hey, thanks, Derek, for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. Uh, You know, I'm sure that most of our audience knows who you are, but in the off chance that they don't, give us a little history. Tell us about yourself. Uh, Well, I'm the... I'm the son of a Navy brat. Well, I'm a Navy brat. And uh, after that, I joined the Army. So I just spent 20 years in the Army. And after uh, I retired, I, I retired here at, at Bell County, which is where I'm from, Temple, Texas. And about five years ago, I was arrested while lawfully carrying a rifle out near my ranch. And um, that's what sort of threw me into the, the gun rights debate, I guess you could say and the creation of Open Carry Texas. I've always been involved in political issues as an activist, uh, whether it's pro-life issues or uh, Second Amendment issues or Fourth and First Amendment issues. Um, And uh, I just decided now's the time. I'm fed up after working in the legislature for three sessions begging for my rights back. I've decided I'm done begging, and I'm going to do something. Awesome. So uh, let's talk. Do you mind talking just a little bit about the arrest that happened a few years back? Yeah, so my son and I were on a hike. We were on a 10-mile hike because he needed one more merit badge to get his Eagle Scout. And so he chose the hiking merit badge. 
and about five miles into this hike, and I told my son when he was creating the route, I said, make sure you stay out here because I don't want to be, you know, in the city and all that kind of stuff. And we have feral hogs and other wild animals out there. So I always, we always carry a rifle, whether it's in our tractor, our truck, on our bodies um, out here. And so I was carrying my rifle, which my rifle happened to be an AR-15. That's my rifle. And um, about halfway through the hike, a, I heard a voice behind me saying, hold up a minute. And I turned around and there was a police officer behind me. He didn't have his lights on, didn't mention anything I was doing against the law. He says, what are you doing? I said, we're hiking. And then he grabs my rifle and he says, there's some reason why you have this. And in a quizzical manner, I said, because I can. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. And then he starts to disarm me. Well, you, I'm not a guy. I'm a, I'm a retired first sergeant. I wasn't retired at the time. Um, I was an active duty master sergeant at the time. And you don't just grab a soldier's weapon. And so my initial reaction, just automatic, was to put my hands on the rifle and say, hey, hey man, don't try and disarm me. And the next thing I know, I've got a gun stuck to the stuck to my head, and I'm thrown onto the hood of a police car. And uh, I demanded to know what crime I was committing. The only thing he ever told me was, as soon as I can find out you can legally have this gun, you'll be good to go. And that didn't prove to be the case because they invented a charge of uh, resisting arrest, even though there was no arrest to resist. And then I went through a very corrupt two trials where they changed the charges three times on me. And I was eventually convicted of a Class B misdemeanor of interference. Wow. And uh, in case anybody's curious, the dash cam footage of all of this is widely available for anybody to take a look at. And uh, it is one of those things that is, it's it's kind of hard to watch. We, we all want to uh, support law enforcement and we do support law enforcement, but sometimes there are things that happen that are injustices, and this is clearly one of those examples. Uh, CJ, you did end up getting your weapons back after a few years, correct? Four years. And, and, and I'll say one thing. We shouldn't support law enforcement. We should support good law enforcement. Correct. Yes, that is a, it's a good asterisk to put by that for sure. Um, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the past. I, I, know, yeah. I know why you're running. I know... Uh, you know, we we know who you are, but we're going to get back to the Second Amendment here in a little bit. Let's first talk about some of your non-Second Amendment related legislative priorities that you have. What are some of the things that you would like to change in Austin? What would you like to enact? Things like that. Well, believe it or not, the Second Amendment isn't even my most passionate issue. Um, pro-life issues are, and it's actually my belief in the protection of life that really fuels my belief in the second amendment. And so the, the, one of the big things on my agenda is, is to protect life at every stage from the beginning to the natural end. Um, but I also want to abolish, uh, oppressive state property taxes. We we're we're just inundated with property taxes. And it is my firm belief that as long as we have to pay property taxes, we do not own property, and our Declaration of Independence is null and void at that point, because we have a right to life, liberty, and property. And I mean, that's that's what John Locke said, and they 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 reworded it to the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of happiness is the ownership of property. Correct. So, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but a lot not a lot of people know that the original draft of the Declaration did say life, liberty, and property. Um, exactly. But, yeah. So anyway, go go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's. I mean, it's good. I think people need to understand that. And so, 
property taxes is a huge issue, but um, there's a, there's a bunch of other things. I mean, I want to cut off funds to illegal immigrants. I'm, I don't want taxpayers to have to pay for people who shouldn't even be here um, that aren't here legally. But really, my goal is to go to Austin, and my success will be judged not in how many laws I pass, but in how many laws I repeal. We have a problem in Texas where the government controls practically everything we do short of breathing, although I'm sure there's some regulations about that too. Um, you know, this last legislature, legislative session, for example, there was a bill that was debated on the, on the floor about how many chickens you could have in your yard. There was a bill about being required to carry a whistle on your kayak or anything on uh, when you're on a lake or, or something like that. Uh, we've got laws that say what side of the road you're supposed to walk down. It, it's just absurd, and we've got to get rid of all these little nitnoid things. And, and they sound nitnoid, but really, you've got to start getting rid of the little stuff so you can start focusing on the big stuff. And uh, another minor issue for me is the, the inspection sticker on vehicles. I don't think we should have to have that. I don't think we should be paying for two license plates when one will be just fine in the back of the car uh, instead of two. So little things like that. That's what I want to focus on is getting government out of our lives. You are a man after my own heart, sir. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, back in the day, I really enjoyed working on a Camaro that I owned. And uh, it got to the point where it would no longer pass inspection so I could no longer really have that car and you're, you're right things like that they they really get under our skin we don't realize how much they affect us until they actually affect us you know you bring up property taxes if you pay off your mortgage and you own the house guess what happens if you don't pay the state of Texas you know they'll come in and repossess your house from you for back taxes and things like that and so it really and is they'll use They'll use force to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely they will. And, uh, you know, you cannot oppose the government. You cannot return that, that force because that it's frowned upon. We'll just put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, let's, let's go back to the Second Amendment. Um, we know how you stand on how the state of Texas should govern the Second Amendment, how it should regulate and pretty much it's minimalist. I assume that the same goes for at the federal level too, correct? Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm running for state office, but I, I, I think even more so than at the state level, every single gun law in, in Congress or at the federal level is unconstitutional, even more so than, than it is at the state level. Because there, an argument can be made, although I, I would argue it can't, but an argument can be made that states have the right to regulate firearms, but not the federal government. So when you talk about the federal government, I think it's unambiguous. The federal government has no right to regulate in any way, shape, or form the keeping or the bearing of arms. Now, they can regulate who you can shoot. You know, obviously, it's against the law to murder somebody. It's against the law to use a gun in the commission of a crime. Got it. But when it comes to keeping and bearing arms, the federal government has no place in that, and I would also say the state government has the exact same duty not to infringe. Correct. And, you know, I've said this uh, on the program in the past that there are some rights that are 
you know, that do come from government. But there are other rights that come from beyond government. They come from our creator. One of those is our right to bear arms. It really stems into our right of self-defense and defense of our property and our lives and the lives of our neighbors. Um, but the firearm in the modern day is the great equalizer. You know, a 110-pound woman can take down a six foot five, 300-pound man with a firearm, whereas it might not be the case if she didn't have that firearm. Absolutely, and I boil it down to this. If we have a right to life, again, getting back to the Declaration of Independence, if we have a right to life, which we do, then we have a right to defend that life. And if we have a right to defend that life, then we have a right to the tools with which to defend it. And that means firearms. Um, you know, like you said, there are some people who uh, just can't physically uh, hold, hold off someone that's bigger than them. You've got some people who might be um, in some way handicapped and they're, and they're all, you know, they can't fight. They, they're sitting in a chair. They can't kick. Um, so they have a right to a firearm, and, and the firearm is just the modern-day version of that right to self-defense. I mean, it used to be knives and and things and swords, but now it's guns, and it's no different than a sword except in how it's used or, or in, in, in the way it operates, I should say. Correct. Okay, so what about accessories such as suppressors? Uh, again, I don't think there should be any laws against anything as it relates to firearms. I'm against the NFA. I don't think it's uh, I'm any more dangerous as a law-abiding citizen if I have an M60 machine gun or if I have a little uh, Derringer 22 pistol. Um, I don't. I, I think that if you've got a, a firearm, that you should be able to use it in the most accurate way possible or in, in the way that you see fit, provided that you're not infringing on the rights of others. So, you know, right now they're talking about the bump stock. This is just nothing but a feel-good measure. I think there's been, what, one crime in, in all of history that the bump stock has been around, that it's been used. And if we allow them to use a tragedy like what happened in Vegas to prohibit you from owning, for example, a bump stock, well, what if a guy starts using a really high-powered scope and starts taking people off uh, from long distances? Are we going to start banning long-range scopes? It, it just, where does it end? And then then you start going to rifles. Look. Rifles are used less than hammers and fists to kill people, and yet whenever a rifle is used to commit a crime, they want to ban rifles. And so if we allow any infringement, I don't care if it's a trigger, a bump stock, a scope, a suppressor, those are all infringements in, in my view. And quite frankly, it's just the government should stay out of it. Well said, my friend. So um, let's get back to things at the state level. Now, we had... We had a lot of attention with constitutional carry last session. We had uh, we had HB 375, which was supported by Open Carry Texas and Lone Star Gun Rights and, and Texas Gun Rights. And then we had this rival bill, HB 1911, that was atrocious. And it yeah. it it was I, I called it back then compromised carry because yep. uh, yeah it, it really was it was compromising your rights as a means to try and get a permitless type carry enacted. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't good for the state of Texas. It wasn't good for anybody. 
Um, so one of the things that I really liked about 375 was that there were specific protections against law enforcement being able to detain somebody for simply carrying. I am certain I know your answer, but how do you feel about that being mandated into a constitutional carry bill next session? I, I think it's absolutely necessary, and I'll, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. This is one of the reasons I'm also running is because I begged my representative, Hugh Shine. I begged him. I went to him time and time again. I said, look, I understand that the NRA has bought and paid for you with their endorsement, but put your name on both of these bills. Because if you say you support constitutional carry, then put your name on it. And all he would tell me was, oh, you know, if it comes to a vote, I'll, I'll vote for it. Well, if you're going to vote for it, put your name on it. And he refused to do that with 375. The, it is absolutely necessary because we just had a story – I just had an issue two days ago where uh, some First Amendment activists who happened to be open carrying were detained by law enforcement just because they were open carrying and had this huge argument over whether or not they're required to ID. If you go into our Open Carry Texas page or groups, People still debate this, thinking that you're required to ID. So even though the law, in my view, and your view probably, is very clear that you have to be under arrest to ID, we need to clarify that, and we need to specifically tell law enforcement, no, you cannot just demand an identification without the presence of a crime. And open carry in and of itself is not probable cause or reasonable suspicion of a crime. You would think this wouldn't be an issue because the courts have already said that um, the, the law enforcement cannot just simply default to, okay, you're a criminal until you prove otherwise. Correct. Yeah, and, you know, not a lot of people know about the case law that's out there, uh, specifically even as it relates to carrying a firearm. Um, but there is case law out there that does prohibit this sort of action, but citizens don't know it and law enforcement doesn't know it either. So that's why I think it's incredibly important that we codify it in the law so that way there are no questions. It's there, and it specifically says you cannot detain somebody for carrying. Um, well, uh, yeah, and absolutely, and several other states have done this, and I actually had a, uh, a bill, and I think that's what um, – I believe that's what Jonathan Sicklin used because I, I took a bill from – I believe it was Kentucky or Missouri. I can't remember which, which state it was that came out and specifically made that clear that open carry is not a, a reason to stop and ID people. Um, and that's something I'm willing to file separately and as a part of any gun rights bill. Awesome. So one of the things that was kind of wishy-washy in both 375 and 1911 whenever you were talking back and forth between the bills had to do with 30-06 and 30-07. Um, in 375 and Stickland's bill, you had it changed to just being a person, uh, whereas in 1911 you added 30-08, which was just so much more convoluted than it needed to be. I've had this idea for quite some time, and uh, if you li if anybody listened to last week's podcast, I had Sean Cody on. I stole it from him, so credit where it's due. The way that the 30-06, 30-07 laws are currently written is that it's a Class C misdemeanor to carry past those signs unless uh, an authority at the business asks you to leave or to conceal. 
at that point it's a class A. The problem with that is it means that you don't that the business owner doesn't have to press charges. You can automatically be arrested. Well, it's not it's a class C, so you could automatically be fined for breaking that law without any uh, sort of say so from the business owner. So what I would like to see in the next bill would be to basically say in order for 30-06, 30-07, whatever we're going to change it to, to be effective, you have to have been asked to leave and refuse to or asked to conceal and refuse to because at that point it's trespassing anyway. What do you think about that? Well, I completely agree. I, I personally don't even think uh, the government should be worrying about trespassing. I think that's a civil matter. I, I think if I am trespassing on someone's property, that's between me and that property owner, not the state. Now, if I commit some crime, for example, I engage in violence, um, at that point, then I think that there's an issue. But I, I do understand there needs to be some kind of enforcement. And I agree with you. If I just simply walk in and I'm not hurting anybody, but I happen to walk past the sign, that, that's no business of law enforcement unless the property owner says, hey, you need to leave, and then I don't. At that point, I would understand the whole trespassing thing and, and charging somebody. But I don't believe that just walking past the sign uh, should be a matter that law enforcement or the state cares about unless I'm physically told to leave and I refuse. Correct. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I really have an issue with in current law, and it wasn't addressed last session, is that the TABC mandates it that it is a felony to simply cross the threshold of a 51% establishment, which is a bar. If you cross the threshold, it is a felony of the third degree. I think that is draconian at its very in its very nature, and I think that I would support uh, repealing it entirely. If you feel differently, that's fine. I just want to know what you think about those types of provisions as far as uh, bars are concerned. Well, I have an easy answer for this. Repeal and remove any law that has anything to do with firearms from the TABC. It's, it's, it's the Alcoholic Beverage Commission. It has nothing to do with firearms. Get it out of the TABC's wheelhouse. They have no business messing with guns. Um, I don't drink. I uh, So why am I kept from carrying a firearm into a bar? If I'm a, uh, Usually I'm a designated driver, or maybe I'm just going to watch a show for a local band, or they have good food in that bar. You never know. But I don't drink. Why am I being disarmed? It just doesn't make any sense. So my philosophy is get the TABC out of the gun business completely, and you solve the problem. Well, there you have it, man. I I tell you, I don't drink either. I have maybe a beer a month at most, and that's probably a good month for me if you if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and you're right; it's a, it's atrocious because there are if we want to encourage, um, you know, designated driving, being responsible while drink while while uh, drinking, assigning somebody to be a designated driver is smart. But also, if that person is able to carry and chooses to do so then it's even it, it's an even safer environment for everybody involved because when alcohol is involved you never know what's going to happen and so i would say i would be willing to argue that having a designated driver who is carrying is far more needed in a bar than really anywhere else 
Well, and I and I agree. We already have a law that says you can't carry while you're intoxicated. Why can't we just leave it at that? Most gun owners, the overwhelming majority of gun owners, are responsible people, and uh, the, the the people that commit crimes with guns in a bar, <laughs> they're already breaking the law. So <laughs> right. We we we've just got to stop with these blanket except you know just okay nobody can do it because there's one or two guys that are going to abuse the law that's not the way you legislate right everything seems to be a preemptive uh kind of like a minority report thing we want to stop a crime before it happens sort of thing and yeah i mean it's, it's the same thing with our felony can't carry laws i mean martha stewart's a felon who did she ever hurt right all she did was all she did was get good prices for through insider training that didn't hurt anybody no, but, uh, but yet she's a felon now and can't carry. You know, you get an 18 year old kid that commits grand theft auto. The 18 year old kid is now 48, never committed another crime in his life. He learned his lesson at 18. Why can't that guy carry? It, it just these things make no sense. They've got good intentions, but we don't need to legislate good intentions. We need to legislate what is uh, for the betterment of society, what protects the free market, and what protects liberty. That's it. I love liberty. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I kind of want to change gears because you said something that uh, it's not that I wasn't expecting. It's just that it's not a topic that I was expecting to bring up. But you were talking about uh, somebody with a with a criminal history being able to possess and, and being able to carry. And one of the things that was that has been in the, in the news, at least recently, was the whole Nick's Fix bill after the tragedy that happened in uh, Sulphur Springs, I think it was. And they wanted to fix the Knicks background check system. I would say that the the proper fix for that is to eliminate it. But uh, what do you think about that? Uh, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I could go in more detail, but I agree with you. Yeah. Um, another thing. Hey, hey, well, here's the problem. And this is why some people might be going, What? If you don't have the background system, everybody's going to be carrying and you can't get the, the thing about the background system is when you give government the authority to pick and choose who they can put into a system that doesn't have their rights, you know, like right now it's a felon. So we give the government the authority to prevent felons from carrying and possessing firearms. So what does the government do? The number of felonies since the background system was put in place has more than tripled. So what's to stop the government from simply making everything a felony? In New York, there are six degrees of felony. So that's why these are bad ideas. The, the thing is, if somebody is safe enough to be in society, they should be safe enough to have their rights reinstated. If they're not safe enough to have their rights reinstated, then they shouldn't be out in society. I couldn't agree more. And when you say the number of felonies, you're talking about the number of felonies on the law books, correct? I'm, I'm talking about the types, you know, class A, class B, class C. Uh, New York has six degrees of felony. That's ridiculous. I, d I don't yeah. know how you can have a uh, so many. To me, a felony would be you wrong somebody, you harmed them in a deliberate ma uh, deliberate way. You know, you stole their property at gunpoint, something like that. But you know, yeah. we have a lot of felonies on the books that, you know, like you brought up, Martha Stewart. She didn't hurt anybody. She just was 
giving somebody a hookup on uh, on a stock deal. Um, but, but even something like that, writing a hot check is a felony in some states, and if you write it over a certain amount, it's a felony in the U.S. Um, and, and you're hurting somebody in that sense, but you're not physically hurting them. You're stealing from them because you're writing a hot check for a product or service. But why is writing a bad check grounds for losing all of your civil liberties? That's that's the problem that we have. You know, those, those things should obviously have remedies and should be punished because there's a victim. But stripping people from their rights, their need or of their rights, needs to have extremely strict scrutiny. I absolutely agree. It sounds like you have some uh, some specific uh, judicial reforms in mind, but uh, I'm not going to get you too terrible. Do you, do you want to talk about a few of them? Well, the, the Fourth Amendment protection bill I've already written, like I said, and that's going to protect uh, Texans from uh, that are open carrying from being uh, targeted. Um, I've also got a bill that I wrote that would require law enforcement when they detain or put under arrest an individual, they are required at the point that they decide they're going to detain someone to specifically articulate exactly what crime they're being detained for. None of this, well, as soon as we can run your name or, you know, you're suspicious. Okay, what am I suspicious of having committed? Um, so there's a bill that I want to file that would specifically force law enforcement to articulate to the individual at that time exactly what crime they're suspected of committing because when you don't do that when law enforcement doesn't do that it escalates the situation because for example me as a law-abiding citizen if i'm getting detained and and put in handcuffs and i haven't broken any laws or at least i'm not aware of any laws i've broken i'm going to be a lot more defensive and a lot more angry when you put me in cuffs generally that are too tight and so it's safe for the law enforcement officer, it's safer for the situation, and it's safer for the citizen because typically when a citizen gets uppity and defensive and starts screaming and yelling because he hasn't done anything wrong, what typically happens is it's the citizen that ends up hurt. And so I think, and I don't think any law enforcement officer should oppose this. If you're a law enforcement officer and you believe that criminals should be punished, then when you stop somebody, and you have a reason to stop them, then you should be able to articulate that reason. And and why anyone would oppose that, I don't think anybody would oppose that unless you're a tyrant. Yeah, I don't disagree. That's uh, I'm eager to read that bill. Actually, uh, that that sounds like a wonderful thing that that should be put as a one of the top priorities. Uh, we have a few that should be, but it should be one of them. And another one is uh, for prosecutors if. You are arrested for a crime, um, for example, let's just say murder. Um, well, let's just use something else like shoplifting over $5,000 or whatever. Okay. Um, and they want to do a plea deal or force a plea deal to you or change the charges. The charges can only be changed within the scope of whatever that crime is. So in other words, and I'll give you a perfect example. This is kind of a personal thing for me, but this is where I learned it. Um, I was initially arrested for resisting arrest well the charges were, were changed three times and they jumped all over the place none of none of the other charges had anything to do with resisting arrest and so that's a problem but they forced me they tried to get me to plead all these other crimes you know in order to get me to accept a plea deal 
And a lot of people don't realize that when you accept a plea deal, you're potentially hurting your, your rights. And so let's just say you're, uh, you're arrested for assault and they go, well, I'll tell you what, if you just plea to, I mean, just throw something out there, uh, to stealing, then, you know, we'll, we'll let you go. Well, stealing has absolutely nothing to do with assault. So I want to pass a bill that would require prosecutors to either stick to their charges, dismiss them, or if they want to get somebody to plea out, it has to be an element of that crime, not some other completely random other crime. That's fantastic. I look forward to seeing that. I really do. Um, okay, so I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know that oh. things are incredibly busy with you right now. You know, we got early voting starting, what, like eight days uh, so I, I know a week that from today. a week from today, seven days, it's less than seven days. It's, it's crazy how quickly time is flying. <laughs> um, so I, I just, a couple more questions for you. One, why should people pick you as opposed to your opponent? Well, first of all, I've got a history of when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I take a stand and I don't back down. I stand up for principle. I'm not willing to, uh, negotiate my principles, our liberty. Those are things I'm, I'm standing tall on. So when I go and I say there's not a single uh, non-pro-life bill, if, if they're trying to say, okay, well, under 15 weeks is not good for killing babies. Look, no, for me, it's zero. And I'm not going to vote for anything that in any way minimizes our rights. If, if it has to do with gun rights, even if it's just they're trying to get us uh, you know, for example, expanded background checks in exchange for constitutional carry. Sorry, no, I'm not going to do it. So I have a history of standing up for what I believe in. And it's not always popular, and it's been at great detriment to me personally and, and uh, professionally as well as politically. But I'm willing to put myself on that line and fall on that sword for our principles, and I'm not going to sell out to politicians just so that I can get a cush committee assignment or anything like that. And so that's why people should vote for me because they know where I stand. They don't have to guess. And I've already got a history of doing exactly what I say I'm going to do. That's fantastic. And there's a, the reason that we are so proud of to endorse you is because of that very thing. You've been a leader in uh, the gun rights world in the state of Texas for a long time. You know, we've worked with you in the past um, and we are incredibly proud to see you run for the, for the HD 55. And we sincerely hope that you win. If people want to help out your candidacy, donate, where can they go? What can they do to help you out? Well, two things I need, I need volunteers. I need people willing to come up here and fight because the, my incumbent is a well-funded, uh, multimillionaire that's profited off of the backs of taxpayers. And he's also got all of these uh, developer packs that, that are pushing for him. So I need volunteers and I need, I need money. But you can go to cjgrisham.com and you can fill out the volunteer form or you can uh, drop a couple bucks in the, in the kitty. But I, what, what really, really I need right now, to be honest with you, is I need people who are willing to come up here in the next week and knock doors with me. I need, I need an army. And we can win this. Right now the polls have me in second, but I think we can win this. Awesome. And uh, for those who are outside of your district, you're up in what, Temple area? I'm in the Temple area, and I've had people from all the way down to Houston come up and walk for me off and on. So awesome. everybody is welcome. 
Alrighty, and uh, I assume you're you're coordinating this through your social media. Uh, through social media, and again, if uh, also through the website. If you go to cjgrisham.com, there's a volunteer form. But yeah, you can contact me through social media. You can email me cj at cjgrisham.com. Let me know what days or what hours you're available, and I'll put you to work. And we're gonna we're gonna make Texas free and strong. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the program, my friend. Best of luck to you in the primary election. And I hope to see you in Austin sitting behind a desk. Well, thanks, Derek. And you guys keep up the good work, too. Y'all have been fighting the good fight alongside me, and it's been an honor to work with you, and I look forward to working for you. Likewise, my friend. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. C.J. Grisham for House District 55 up in the Temple area. Please, please, please do what you can. If you if you can volunteer, that would be the most beneficial. If you can donate, that would be a huge help as well. It is time to drain the Austin Swamp, and C.J. Grisham is definitely one of the guys that can do that. So if you are able, do what you can. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you are not already, because as soon as our candidates get a free minute, we will have them on the program, and that is the fastest way to get the latest episodes and get notified as soon as they are uploaded. Anyway, I will talk to you all next time, and until then, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo.